praise the Lord. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Thank you, worship team. Help me appreciate the worship team today. Wonderful, wonderful job. Wonderful. Taylor, I tell you what, we're going to buy a bus and we're going to send you on tour. We're going to send him on a tour. Make some money to pay off that building we're trying to build over there. <laughs> Amen. It's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all of you. And, um, and I was in uh, November of last year in Australia for missions. And that's what you do. You do allow pastor to go from time to time, a couple, three times a year to, to missions. And for that, I'm very grateful. Uh, because, because you know what, you can't send an extension of Jake and Joanna and not expect pastor to have to go. I don't have to go, Jake. I get to go and be with your family. And so good to have them. Let's welcome them back today. They're here. And Caden and Grandma and Grandpa are here, too. Jake and Joanna, we love you. Great job last week. But while I was gone last November, I had a friend of mine who just moved to Springfield recently or lately, last year, too. And uh, and he was pastoring in Illinois, but I met him in 1995, Reverend Bob E.B., his precious wife, Lori, and their family. And uh, and so Bob was pastoring, uh, but but he, he was uh, at CBC in 1995, and I was pastoring in Louisiana. And so Randy Bardwell, anybody remember that guy? How can you forget him? Amen. We love you, Randy. Uh, he's he's moved on to to Arkansas to be with his grandbabies and and such. Him and Karen uh, served in Honduras for thirty years or more. So anyway, Randy was attending here uh, uh, when you know when they lived in town. But while I was in Louisiana, uh, Randy called me because he's a Louisiana missionary, and he said, "Ron, I need you to go with a, a team that's from CBC that's going to Honduras. I want you to go with them." I said, well, "I'd be honored to," and so. Uh, Hint came rolling in, Bob E.B. and Laurie, and I don't know how many on the team, about 10 at 12, 10 or 12 students from Central Bible College that in, converged in uh, Tegucigalpa, Honduras. And we had a wonderful, wonderful time. That's where I met Bob. But since then, I mean, we had a great week. How can you not with Randy Bordwell, right? And, uh, of course, we had a great time. But then Bob uh, uh, graduated, him and Laurie, and went on to uh, Illinois and pastored a great church for many, many years. Well, the Assemblies of God at the AGTS called him to come to Springfield to be a professor of preaching. He is a phenomenal preacher, and he's my friend, and he came and he blessed you while I was out after Thanksgiving. And what a powerful testimony he had, and I wasn't able to be here. So so on Father's Day, I said, I want Bob to come and preach while I'm here instead of while I'm gone. And uh, And so I want you to help me welcome to the pulpit. Reverend Bob E.B., the man, the pastor, the brother, the friend, the preacher. And I want you to preach. These people are patient. They're used to long-winded preachers. Thank you, Pastor Ron. What a joy to be back together with you. What a privilege to be in the house of the Lord. You know, there are times that you get this sense in our culture that, that people think church ought to be a kind of boring, dry, cerebral experience. I will tell you, it is anything but that. It is a powerful spiritual experience. It, is, it does touch our minds. It, it motivates us in what we should do. But I will also tell you, it moves the full range of human emotions. And I am thankful for that. And I'm glad that I'm a part of a church tradition who says, that's okay. That when we come to church, we can experience the full range 
of God's gift of emotions in us. I've experienced it already today, the full range. What? How about the experience of, of nostalgia for me? I'm a, I'm a professor now. I don't get to, to do baby dedications very much anymore. But to just be with a family and to be present, you talk about joy to take a child uh, in your arms and dedicate them to the Lord. And I, I had a little, little nostalgia thinking about that today. I have joy that I get to have uh, a good part of my family here today. Um, my beautiful wife, uh, almost we're approaching. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to claim that 30 years. We got a little bit longer, but we're at 29 and counting. Uh, but uh, my wife is with us today, and my youngest son is here today, and he's a student over at Evangel University. And then uh, we are doubly blessed that, uh, that our moms are here. We, uh, we are truly blessed, and I mean that. We are blessed that both of our moms now live with us in our home here in Springfield. And so uh, my, my mother-in-law came about three, well, two and a half years ago, and my mom came just about a month ago. And uh, we are blessed, and they keep us in line, and uh, that's good. There's just joy at being in the house with, with family. I had a moment of a little bit of uncertainty and anxiety. Uh, I, let's be honest, right? I mean, there's, there's moments that's an emotion that's real. I walked into the sanctuary today, and, you know, every church has its own way of doing things, right? And, and if you are a guest in that church, you, you don't always know what's coming next. I, I walked in, and I saw all the uh, cans of WD-40, and I thought, how does this church anoint people? This is, this is troubling. I'm not sure. We're just going to mass anoint all of the, come up for prayer, and shh, right down the line. A little bit of anxiety. And can I tell you, come on now, it, it'll work. And then sometimes there's just a, is it all right that we say there's a place for a little bit of, um, a little bit of sadness that turns our hearts to the Lord? Not to, not to cause us to just grieve. I mean, it's Father's Day. My dad and my father-in-law uh, both stepped from this world into the presence of the Lord. And so uh, many years ago for both of them. And so this is a day that is touched with a little sadness, but a sadness that is overwhelmed by hope. Now, let me tell you a little sadness that I experienced in worship today that did not get touched with hope. I realized today, because of your video announcements, that Andy's day for this church is for the young adults from 18 to 40. And I suddenly realized I'm out. I'm out. And there's, and there's no hope that that's going to change. I'm just out. I'm just out. But it is good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Well, Pastor, thank you so much. Uh, I, I, I look back on that, uh, that experience where we met one another and that week we spent in Honduras uh, with, uh, with the Bardwells, with you and our team. And uh, of all of the things, honestly, I remember about that week, and, and, and the Lord blessed. Good things happened. We did, I remember we did a tent crusade. We were at a Bible college. We just did a bunch of different things. But the thing that I took from that trip was the joy of, of just having fun together uh, with you and with Randy. And uh, 
uh, it was just such a joy. And so it's a joy to continue that friendship. And uh, Amen. Take your Bibles. Turn to the book of Genesis on this Father's Day. Genesis chapter 17. Different cultures approach this topic in different ways, but the reality is the name placed on your life has significance. It's it's that collection of sounds by which you are identified. I think in many ways our culture, for the most part, has assigned the value of a name to just be in what what sounds good, or maybe maybe there's a connection to the to the family line, people who've gone before you, fathers, grandfathers, mothers, grandmothers. That name, maybe it's just a word that sounds nice rolling off the tongue. But in the scriptures, we find that they viewed names far more significantly than we probably do in our society. A name was to be descriptive of your life. Some of the things that we know as names may be more what we might call nicknames, that they were assigned as a person's character emerged in their life. It was to describe their identity, their character, their nature, their being, but it was also almost determinative of their future that the Lord spoke through in the assignment of the name, that spoke about the future identity of that individual. Now, we sometimes have this, right? I mean, there are names, and are the names that we gather and gain in this world, even in our culture, sometimes have meaning. And sometimes as parents, people choose the name of their child because it's more than just a nice-sounding word, but it's it's something of meaning. Did any of you, when you named your children, look at a name and then try to find out what does that name mean? Did any of you ever do that with your kids? Do, do you mind, is there anybody, just give me, a, give me a name and what it meant when you named your children. Victorious. She's going to be an overcomer. Victoria. She's victorious. Anybody else? One more. Anybody else? See, it's terrible the preacher puts you on, on the spot, right? Well, if you don't want to share, I'll share mine. Because, and, and my mom can back that up. She's in church today. Um, my name actually has meaning and significance and one that I have uh, relied on um, throughout my life and uh, has, has at some levels anchored me at points along the way. My name is Bob, which has meaning. You may not even know it, but it means to go up and down in water. And that's that's been meaningful to me, and I hold on to that. Names mean things. Names have significance. And in the scriptures, we see the Lord and his people not only having names, but occasionally names are altered and changed in the course of a person's life. Sometimes these name changes are profound realignments of people's lives. Jacob, that name meant the one who follows after, or maybe even the one who deceives. He was the second of twins. He had grabbed at his 
brother's heel, his older brother's heel. And it has this sense, supplanter, the one who grasps at, the, he's a deceiver. And yet one day, all by himself, by a stream, he had an encounter with the power and the presence of God. And in a powerful, mighty wrestling match, the Lord did something more than to knock his hip out of joint. He changed something in Jacob. And he said, you're no longer Jacob. You are Israel, the one who contends with God. You have other names that get changed in Scripture. You get Simon. We know him as Peter. Peter means rock. And it was to Peter that the Lord said, when Peter, by the power and the anointing and the work of the Spirit within him, declared with a prophetic voice in response to Jesus' question, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And and Jesus says, your name is Peter. And on this rock, this revelation, I will build my church. That name meant something. And then there are names in Scripture that, that the name change is tied more to language and culture and things like that. Daniel, a young man of God, carried off in captivity and placed in the administrative courts of the Babylonian Empire. They called him Belteshazzar. But his name was Daniel. There was a great apostle, a great persecutor of the church that met Jesus on the road to Damascus. His Hebrew name was Saul, but when he began to go to the nations of the Gentiles around the Mediterranean world, he was no longer his Hebrew name Saul, but he was contextually put in place. They called him Paul. See, in these name changes, those last couple have less significance spiritually or theologically or biblically compared to Jacob to Israel or Peter, from Simon to Peter. But there is a fascinating name change in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 12, if we might begin there, I'm not going to read it, but I'm just going to take you on a journey. We're going to come to 17 and we'll read that text in just a moment. But in Genesis chapter 12, we are introduced to a very interesting character. His name is Abram. Abram. Which is fitting for this day because Abram means exalted father. The high father. The Hebrew word for father is simply the first part of his name. What we call Ab or Av. You talk about a name that probably caused pain every time he heard it. Because Abram was getting up there in age when we first meet him in Genesis chapter 12. And every time somebody called his name, it didn't matter how much he had accumulated how much wealth had been gathered in his household. It did not matter the esteem with which he was held in his community. Every time they called his name, it was a reminder. It was almost a cruel joke to call him the exalted father. Why was it so cruel? Because he wasn't a father. And every time they spoke his name, he was reminded in that culture, the deep wound 
that he had no lineage to pass on all that had been accumulated. And every time his wife lovingly called him by his given name, he was reminded of what he did not have. And in Genesis chapter 12, the Lord himself speaks to him and says, you leave everything you've ever known. You leave the land where you've come from. You leave your father's household. You leave the idols of that world behind you. And you come and go where I tell you to go. And here's, here's the promise I'm going to make to you. I will make you the father. From you, out of you, will come a great nation. Can you imagine the joy in the heart of this man who had lived what we might consider nearly a full life with the longing and the disappointment and the emptiness in his culture that he carried because he was and his wife was childless. Now God says, you follow me and I will make you not only bountiful, you'll not only have a child, you will become the beginning of a great nation. It's very interesting when you read that passage in chapter 12 that it's literally the father of a great nation. Singular. It's singular. It's a great nation. That was God's promise. If you'll follow me, I will make you the father of a great nation. In chapter 15, God initiates more than just a promise. He initiates a covenant relationship with him. It's an agreement between God and Abram that the the answer to this prayer would be a biological son born to him and his wife, Sarah. But here's the reality. That that moment where it is confirmed, no, because, and we're going to talk about why God had to confirm. It's going to be a child between you and Sarai. But in chapter 15, we've probably come 10 years since that promise. Can you imagine again the development, the, the movement of the pain, right? A lifetime that had now dwindled to hopelessness in this very important area in his life, reemerged with a divine expression of promise and hope, and ten years go by, still nothing. Now the cruel joke is not just his childlessness. It was seemingly almost the mockery of God. God steps in and says, no, you will have a child by Sarai. Now, we look at Genesis chapter 17. We'll start in verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make a covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations, plural. See, the first promise is, I will make you the father. Out of you will come a great nation. Now, the Lord says, I will make you to be the father of a multitude of nations, plural. No longer shall your name be called Abram. But your name shall be called Abraham, 
For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring forever. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So here we have the name change. You will become the father of many. That's what Abraham means. It's this idea that it's now expanded. And we just sit back as church people, right? We're church folk. We've heard these stories before. And we just hear that and we go, bless God. Isn't that just like the Lord? He just multiplied the blessing. He just opened up even more. What began as a seed, a promise of one nation. Now God says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And we just go, that's just just like our God. He just blesses his people. But I'm going to tell you, there's something far darker going on in this promise. Because the reason God did what he did was because Abraham had given up hope in the supernatural provision of God to do a miracle to provide a child for him, and he took matters into his own hands. Well, he and Sarai, his wife, took matters into their own hands. See, Sarai had a slave. Her name was Hagar. And they decided that God's promise must not mean that Abram and Sarai would have a child, but that they would use Hagar. And I choose that word intentionally. They would use Hagar. Here's this great hero of the faith, the father of the faithful. We, we call him. How many times did we get dizzy in children's church spinning around talking about Father Abraham? And the father of the faithful gave up having faith, and they cooked up this plan that Sarai's servant, Hagar, would bear a child into the, the, the rules of the culture because she had no identity. No personhood, no rights, no privileges, no power. They could go through with this plan, and not only would she and her body be used, would she be objectified, depersonalized, dehumanized, and be forced to produce a child with Abram. More than that, that child wouldn't even be hers. Legally, that child would be in the culture, Abraham and Sarah. See, we have a word for that in our culture when a person of great power objectifies and against their will uses another person in sexual ways. Don't, don't, don't be too quick to go, oh, well, you know, it was a different time, different place. No, I will tell you that when you are used and depersonalized, dehumanized, when you are just an object to accomplish somebody else's goal who has power over your life, I don't care if it's now or 4,000 years ago, that's still wrong. And I will tell you, we know it's wrong because God had to show up to make it right. He intervenes and he says to Hagar, when she is run out of the household, he has to rescue her and says, I am the God who sees you. So don't tell me that, oh, it's just culture, it's no big deal, it's just what they did. No, she was a human being 
that bore the image of God that was used, and it's wrong. It wasn't just Abraham's lack of faith. It was Abraham's misuse of his power. It was oppressive. And in the midst of that mess, that mess, God comes along and says, you know what? You're going to be the father of many nations. That wasn't the original plan. You'll be the father of many nations because you messed it up. (laughs) But I want to tell you today, the sermon I'm preaching today about a name change is more important than the change from Jacob to Israel or from Daniel to Belteshazzar. It's better and more important than the change of the name from Saul to Paul. I want you to understand today that there was a name change that happened in Genesis chapter 17 that has forever affected how we experience the Word of God, experience the power of God. I want you to understand today that there was a name change that took place in Genesis chapter 17. But don't get me wrong. I've talked a lot about Abram to Abraham. That's not the name change that matters in this story right now. Because when the Lord showed up and spoke to Abraham or Abram still at this point, this is what he says. This is how he opens his line. And God said to him, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. See, literally in the Hebrew, this is a phrase maybe you've heard before. Amy Grant made sure you heard this name. This is the word. He is the El. Shaddai. That is a declaration. See, he said, the Lord goes by a bunch of names throughout the scripture. Sometimes he's the Lord who is my healer. He is the Lord of hosts. He is the Lord who is my peace. He is the Lord who is my shepherd. But I will tell you in Genesis chapter one, uh, 17, we're introduced to a new title for God. We're introduced to a new name. This God had already spoken to Abram before, but he spoke to him this time. And he says, I'm going to give you a whole new name. I want you to know who I am. I am the El Shaddai. And what does that mean? It means I am God the Almighty. I am God the All-Powerful. I am God bigger than the mess you've made. See, I want you to understand, it's really great that Abram went to Abraham, but that was because Abram failed. It's because Abram missed the boat. It's because Abram got it wrong, but God stepped into the mess Abram had made. God stepped into the brokenness that had filled his life. God stepped right into the middle of his mess and said, here's a name you need to know, and it's better than Abraham. It's this. I am the God who is bigger than your mess. I'm the God that's bigger than your mistakes. I'm the God that's bigger than all of the chaos that surrounds you. I am the El Shaddai. And you can't get too far from the God who is almighty. And I will tell you that the Lord, this name begins to become the preferred name of the patriarchs. Jacob uses it multiple times. Isaac uses it on a couple important occasions. I will tell you, this becomes for Abram's household the unique and personal name of God because there was a reminder every time they spoke it that even when we fail, even when others around us fail, even when we've made messes and circumstances around us, there is a God who's bigger. There's a God, and it's great that God made a new plan in the midst of the chaos, but it's even more important that the God we serve is big enough to do it. And I want you to know today, it doesn't matter where you are, how far you've come, 
what the mess that envelops you, the disappointments and the disillusionments and the chaos that may surround you or your family. I, you know what? I just I hadn't intended to go this way, but I want to tell you today, maybe you're here today and it's not in your life, but there's a mess in the life of one of your kids that you love with all of your heart and there's chaos and brokenness in their life and you don't know what's ever going to happen. I want you to know that the God who said to Abram, I am the El Shaddai, is still the El Shaddai in your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren's lives. There's no mess in their life. There's no brokenness in their heart. There's no distance too far that the El Shaddai can't overcome this. Don't you dare give up because he is God Almighty. And so this morning, I just came to give you a word from the Lord not because I concocted it or came up with it, because the Word of God lays it out in black and white on the pages of Scripture. If you feel alone, if you feel broken, if you're confused and disillusioned and disappointed, if you've made mistakes, missed the, missed the priorities, You've begun to believe the lie that it'll never get right. There's no way through it. There's no hope around it. I'll just suffer my way through the rest of it. I want you to hear today. If God can find a man like Abram, who took the promises of God and turned it in a way to oppress and use and violate a woman, and yet God said, you made a big mess. You've made chaos here. But I'm even big enough to work through your chaos. I'm big enough. And don't get me wrong, he didn't, uh, he still met Hagar and cared for her too. Don't get me wrong. He didn't just go, oh, no big deal. Ah, Hagar, Abraham, we're going to keep the plan going. No, God gave a special word to Hagar. And he cared for her as well. But he met with the one who made a mess and said, I was going to make you the father of a great nation, but watch this. Even from the exact thing you did wrong, I will make you the father of many nations. That's how big God Almighty is. And I just have to believe there's somebody here today that just feels that it's too far. It's too much. It's too broken. And I want you to hear the whisper coming through the ages of history that resound off of the page of this text. And your mess is not too big for his grace. He will rewrite the plan you messed up. And he'll write it in a new way. And instead of just blessing you in one way, he'll bless others through you in ways you could have never imagined. There's no sin. There's no disappointment. There's no brokenness too great for El Shaddai's intervention.
So this morning, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. Thank you, Lord. Sin, faithlessness, abuse, violation, disillusionment, loneliness, confusion, doubt. There is a sovereign king who stands above it all. And he says, you bring it all to me. And I'll write a whole new story. A story that will make you not a defeated, broken, left aside remnant of history, but a conquering, overcoming father of faith to multitudes. And he wants to begin to rewrite your story today. I want to speak very clearly first. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you've never heard a message from God's word ever before in your life. It doesn't matter what circumstance you find yourself in over the course of your life, but maybe today you're here. I remember as a pastor how many times people would say, Oh, pastor, I'd love to come to your church, but my life is such a mess and I've sinned so bad. If I walk through the doors of your church, I think the building would just collapse. I had people tell me that so many times. And in one way, they were trying to tell me their life was broken and a mess. In other ways, they were trying to brag about the magnitude of their sin. But I want you to understand, maybe you're here today and you really do believe that. Maybe you think your sin, your rebellion, your brokenness, the things you've done wrong. Maybe you grew up in church and you walked away. Maybe you gave in to the temptations that caused chaos. And you think, yeah, there's, how do I get back from this? There's just no way back. I'm going to tell you today. On the authority of God's word, nothing is impossible with God. And he's reaching to you right now. He wants you to know right now. His power is bigger than your rebellion. His power is bigger than your addiction. His power is bigger than the mess and the chaos that encircles your life. His power is sufficient for you. And so I just want to ask this question. Is there anyone here today? If you're honest and nobody's looking around, we've just got a moment between us and God right now. Maybe you're here and Maybe you once walked with the Lord, and maybe everybody here in this church thinks you still do. Today's a day of honesty. Maybe you've never served the Lord, or maybe you've walked away from Him, but you're here today, and the truth is in your heart, you think it's too hard, too much, too far, too difficult. I want to introduce you to God Almighty, all-powerful. Is there anybody that say, Pastor, will you, will you pray for me today? I feel that way. I feel too broken to be restored. I feel like the mess is too great. It can't be sorted out. I see that hand. Thank you. Is there somebody else that say, I need you to pray for me? Thank you. Is there anybody else? Yep, I see that hand. I'm going to give it another moment because God's clearly speaking. Is there anybody else say, yeah, that's me? You're wrestling with it in your heart. What am I admitting to if I raise my hand? What am I acknowledging? Do you know what you're acknowledging? You're just like the great, one of the greatest, if not the greatest hero of all scripture, apart from Jesus, 
Abraham, the father of all the faithful, made such a mess that it took a God. And it was such a mess that God himself had to say, I'm going to have to do something really extraordinary here to fix this. But I can do it. What are you going to admit? You're going to admit you're a human being that's failed and flawed and broken. And that's okay because that's the beginning of healing. Is there anybody else that would say, yeah, pastor, pray for me? Now I want to say this to those of you who are actively following the Lord. You love the Lord. You believe his word. You're involved. You serve. You give. You do all the things you're supposed to do. But if we could get you in a place of real privacy and just ask you, and you would have to tell exactly what's going on in your heart, you feel like you don't know where God's shown up in his promises. It's not what you expected. It's not going the way you thought it should go. You're disappointed because maybe you missed the boat somewhere along the way. Maybe you made a mistake that you feel like has been irreparable. And maybe you've carried that pain in the quietness of your own heart for years. Today's a day to have a name change. It may not change your name. But the Lord's going to change his name over you. And he's going to declare, I'm God Almighty, bigger than your mess, bigger than your depression, bigger than your addiction, bigger than your loneliness, bigger than your feelings of failure, bigger than your anxiety, bigger than your doubts. Is there anyone here? You're a child of God, but you just feel left on the sidelines, left out and broken. I want to pray for you, too. Is there anybody here that say, that's me? Yeah, thank you. Is there anybody else? Yep, I see that. I believe there's power and honesty before God. Is there anybody else say, that's me? I'm going to pray, and I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Ron to, to lead us to the conclusion that he feels right in the presence of the Lord. I believe in the leadership of a local church pastor who knows his church. He's been placed by God in that place for a reason. But I want to pray before I turn it over to him. Heavenly Father, you see every hand that's been raised and you, you see the struggle waged within hearts. Some of the deepest, most personal matters of their entire life are being dealt with right now things that are hard to be honest about, things that open up old wounds. Lord, I pray that you reveal yourself as God Almighty, the God who's bigger than our mess, the God who's bigger than our failings, the God who takes a story interrupted by our chaos and rewrites a new and glorious one in its place to reveal yourself in fresh ways as God Almighty. The repairer of brokenness. The writer of new dreams. The healer of wounded hearts.